Hello, I'm Viv Groskop, agony aunt, comedian, writer, proud owner of an increasingly huge and unstoppable hairdo, and this is We Are Women. We Are Women is the Mint Velvet podcast. It's all about the experience of being a woman. A lot of sugar and spice and all things nice. But we all know the boys don't have the monopoly on slugs and snails and the less lovable bits of life, so we talk about them too. This time we're exploring energy. Emotional, physical, creative, what feeds it and what drains it. Coming up, we'll hear from Amy Hopkinson. In that moment of comparing yourself, you downplay either what you've achieved or how you're feeling. The moment that you stop comparing yourself is the moment where you really connect with yourself. From Naomi Mdudu. Whenever I'm buying a new piece, I always ask, like, does it bring me joy? Does it does it kind of give me that kind of energy? Because I know that I'll be able to radiate that when I'm wearing it. And from Maria Hatsis-Stefanis. There's good days and there's bad days. But, but again, at the end of the day is taking it all in, refreshing yourself, re-energizing yourself and, and go back into it. But first, I'm joined in the studio today by Naja Spiegelman, author of an incredible memoir with an incredible title, I'm Supposed to Protect You from All This. Chosen as one of Vogue's best books of the year, it explores the stories of four generations of women on her mother's side and illuminates not just the workings of these most precious and fraught relationships, but also the slipperiness of memory and truth itself. Critics have called it powerful, poetic, illuminating. Naja is usually in Paris or Brooklyn, but today she's here and we're very lucky to have her. So welcome to We Are Women. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. You're on here, on a, over here on a book tour. Yeah. Yes. How long yes. are you over for? Uh, <laughs> um, three, four days. Okay. This is Either three days or four days. Severely jet-lagged <laughs> voice speaking. Great. So, yeah, this is really great for our theme, energy. Yes, I have so much of it right now. I can really hear that. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us about the energy that propelled you to sit down and write a book, because I think it's something that a lot of people dream of, but then becomes the thing that's really hard to start. I mean, the first thing I think of when I think of energy in relationship to my book is the energy that the that the women in my family have. I mean, my mom is the kind of person who just, she doesn't eat, she doesn't sleep, she just is in constant motion, she can fit a couch through a doorway that's six inches too small. And when I was growing up, I would always be a little bit afraid of being caught sitting on the couch reading a book when she'd come home, because if I wasn't doing something, it was very frustrating to her, because she is a ball of very potent energy. Um, and I never saw myself that way. I suppose it took energy to write a book, but I also it also took seven years. So there was a lot of procrastination um, and a lot of thinking about how I needed to be writing a book. <laughs> mm. Please tell us uh, about the title and where that comes from and, and a little bit for people who haven't read the book yet about what the premise is. Sure. Um, my mother grew up in Paris and she left at 18 years old to go live in this, in uh, to get away from her family and to live in New York City. And when I was growing up, I knew that she'd had a difficult relationship with her family. But every time I asked her, she'd tell me, I'll tell you when you're older, I'll tell you when you're older, I'll tell you when you're older. And then one day when I was in my early 20s and worried about who I was going to become, she was like, oh, you're going to be fine. And I was like, that's easy for you to say. You've always you've always been this incredibly powerful, fashionable woman who knows exactly what she wants, who's able to accomplish everything that she wants. Um, you don't understand at all what it's like not to be that. And um, 
she started laughing and then told me a story about a time when she was uh, in, an adolescent and um, and very vulnerable. Um, and it made it like opened up this roadmap. I mean, I knew that I wanted to be a woman, but if she was a woman, I didn't know how she had become herself, and so I didn't understand how to become myself. And seeing that she had once been vulnerable allowed me to have this full picture of her. And um, it, that became the book. Then trying to understand her relationship with her mother and getting to know my grandmother became the second half of the book. But I'm supposed to protect you from all this is something that she said to me after telling me a story about a particularly difficult... Uh, she wouldn't. She wouldn't use the word rape, but that's the word most people would use. Um, and um, uh, and I also liked it as a title because in some ways it's ambiguous when you read it who the I is and who the you is. And this book is very personal. There are ways in which I sort of need to protect my mother and my grandmother from the act- from the act of even writing it. Mm. Now, I always ask guests the question at the beginning and we come back to it at the end of the podcast for an answer. So you've got time to think about Uh-oh. this. Oh, no, because if there's time, then I have to have a good answer. No, you will have a good okay. answer. I can bet it. <laughs> Today, in keeping with our theme, I want to ask you this. What do you do in your life in general, which is the biggest waste of energy? Ah. Just think about that. Okay. While you're pondering that, let me open the invaluable box of tricks labelled What Advice Would You Give to Another Woman? My name is Kat Farmer. I am blogger and editor of Does My Bum Look 40, currently on a shoot with Mint Velvet. Now, my advice would be for every woman, do not leave home without instant tan. The wash-off stuff, all you need to do is apply it knee down, elbow down, that's it. Do not leave home without it. My name is Harriet Minter. I'm a journalist and broadcaster. I'm the presenter of the Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. Uh, The advice I would give another woman is proceed until apprehended. You can do it. Um, I'm Carrie Lloyd. I'm a comedian and writer and improviser. And the advice I would give to myself as a younger version of me is the voice in your head that you think only you have that says you're rubbish at everything. Actually, everyone has. And you just need to turn it down. Just turn it down and get on with it. Thank you, Kat, Harriet and Cariad. Listeners, we'd absolutely love to hear your advice for another woman or your thoughts on anything else about the podcast. So please do come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page or tweet us at Mint Velvet. Listener Gemma Hurst got in touch to share her advice. Don't be afraid to jump. There are so many what ifs and I wish I had done's. Go out there and do it. She admits this is advice she's still learning to follow herself, but no less wise for all that. Our interview with Amy Hopkinson is coming up very shortly, but first it's time for My Life in Clothes, our feature about the tales and truths lurking in our wardrobes. Naomi Mdudu left her job as a fashion editor at a big newspaper to found The Lifestyle Edit. It began as a platform to share the stories of female entrepreneurs. It's branched into digital consultancy, business coaching and most recently supper clubs and workshops where, as she says, amazing women can meet over amazing food and wine. Naomi spends much of her time in New York, but we managed to catch up with her on a visit to London when she popped into the Mint Velvet studio to talk clothes, careers and self-care. Clothes mean a lot to me. I like clothes that just instantly make me feel confident and pulled together. I think as women, we and especially, you know, as business owners, we have so many things that we're constantly thinking about in any given time in the day. Um, 
I want clothes that do the hard work for me, that I don't have to think about when I'm putting them on in the morning. I know they make me feel pulled together. They allow me to kind of put my best foot forward. So the first thing that I brought today is this pantsuit by The Fold. Whenever I have like a big meeting or a big pitch, I love a trouser suit. It just instantly makes me feel like super powerful, confident, um, and really, really pulled together. And it is like as bold as you can imagine. It is tomato red. So you can see me from a mile off. And it just, you know, it's just tailored really beautifully. It's really classic, but I love that the colour is so bold. It just makes it feel really kind of contemporary. Um, Yeah, that's like, that is definitely like my go-to. I absolutely love it. I feel like your clothing has such a big impact on your energy. Like I said, with this red pantsuit, the moment I put it on, I'm just like, yes, I am ready for it. And yeah, I just feel like a badass. Like I just feel it just pieces like that just make me feel incredibly empowered. Um, So definitely the transition from being a fashion editor and now into the role that I have has had such a profound impact on my style. I was so obsessed with fashion and, you know, following everything that came out. And I had to almost mourn that something that you've loved so much, all of a sudden, you're like, actually, like, I care about lots of other things too. And that's now only a a part of my world rather than being the sole focus. Um, But I love where I am now that, you know, I really use fashion and style as a way to kind of put put myself and who I am out there rather than it being something that is at the forefront. Right now, the stage that I am in my life, I really want people to look at the woman wearing the clothes rather than the clothes themselves. And just for me, it's all about comfort. Comfort. I hate, I think there's nothing worse than you see women kind of tugging on their clothes and just feeling really uncomfortable. I just don't have time for that. I really need things that just fit me really well and just make me feel pulled together without having to do much. Okay, so this next piece is a dress. It's a maxi dress um, from ASOS, actually. And it is covered in sequins it's like a baby pink and then it's got like silver and purple floor length and I wore this on New Year's Eve the year that I decided that I really wanted to kind of pursue growing my business in New York it was very much like my yes year like yes a new opportunity just go for it and um two months later I met the man of my dreams actually um I just had a feeling that New Year's, like, this is going to be, like, my year. So every time I look at this dress, it really just reminds me of how I felt then. Self-care means everything to me. And it's funny because this year, when I was thinking about what my priorities were, health was number one, health, home and work, because I feel like health is wealth. Um, there's this real glorification of the hustle and the grind and, you know, staying up late, working really hard. And, you know, I, I fell victim to that. You know, one of the reasons why I just wasn't fulfilled in my old life was that, you know, I was the first person that came in in the morning and the last person to leave in the evening. And I was just exhausted. And I think I deceived myself in thinking that, you know, it was just the job. 
part of it was also a personality. You know, I should be doing this and I should be, you know, striving for the next thing. So invariably, I transferred that energy into my business. I got to a stage where I just hit burnout. And I realized that as a founder, if I'm not functioning, my business stops. You know, part of self-care for me starts with self-compassion and, you know, finding a healthy balance between, you know, taking that time for yourself and still being really ambitious, but just, you know, finding a healthy middle ground. Okay, so I absolutely love these. These are, um, they're the Lorenzo Stilettos from uh, my dear friend Jennifer Tremandi. First of all, they're just absolutely stunning and they're just so beautifully made. And they're really special to me for that, um, but also because it just reminds me of her story. She's just so incredibly inspiring. She went from working in finance to starting this business. She learned Italian in three months to be able to pitch the, the factory who were like dismissing her. She went to Italy, did her business plan in Italian and and ended up getting them to produce her shoes. So every time I wear them, it just reminds me of that story. If your clothes make you feel confident and they make you feel at your best, you emanate that energy in everything that it is that you're doing. Um, So whenever I'm buying a new piece, I always ask, like, does it bring me joy? Does Does it kind of give me that kind of energy? Because I know that I'll be able to radiate that when I'm wearing it. Thank you to Naomi and Dudu. Naja, I loved her talking about the pantsuit. That reminded me of Hillary Clinton because she always wears a <laughs> pantsuit, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, you said this story has been seven years in the writing, but it's come out at a very important moment for mm. women's stories with Me Too and Time's Up. Mm-hmm. What do you feel is really helpful for women at this time? Do you think sharing of stories is the most important thing? Do you think action matters? changing political policy just a very small question for you there. <laughs> well I'm all I'm listening to you I'm like do I have to choose I want all those things I want sharing stories I want policy I want action I want uh sometimes in America right now the movement in order to have political power can have a focus on becoming monolithic and all women need to speak as one, I think that that is useful politically, but not useful personally, and that each woman sharing her stories from her very individual place, and there being room for stories that that are about some guy put his hand on my ass in the subway, but it wasn't the end of the world, um, or my boss made a pass at me, but it, it was okay. A combination of my boss made a pass at me and I didn't know how to say no and I felt very, very vulnerable and it was and it, it made me change careers and I didn't pursue the career I wanted to pursue. We need that story. But we also need all of the stories with all the shades of nuance. Um, and right now, I think, especially because when you're trying to make political change happen, it's much easier to talk in absolutes and to talk in black and white. Um, there's not room for every story. And I would like to see more of that. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself from writing this book? Um, I learned that I write best with a lot of coffee at three in the morning. Um, I learned, um, uh, I mean, I, I learned that I write best if I unplug my modem. Um, but that's silly. I mean, very concretely, I learned how 
to be a woman in the world from these examples of my mother and my grandmother, I learned that there are traumas that are specific to women that repeat in every generation of women and that so rarely are talked about and so rarely make history books. Even small ones. I mean, the word trauma is huge, but the act of getting one's period or the the moment when you realize that you're a sexual being and that's something that either is going to make you very vulnerable or very powerful and how do you juggle the fact that sometimes it makes you both. Um, Realizing that those were things that every generation of women who'd come before me had dealt with and had dealt with in rather similar ways um, and that those things weren't changing or progressing through the generations in part because they weren't things that were being talked about was really interesting to me. We are here at the plush, glamorous offices of Hearst UK, uh, the media conglomerate, where I started my career over 20 years ago on Cosmopolitan magazine, and it's very beautifully air-conditioned, so you might hear a bit of a hum in the background. And if you take a survey to find out which bits of life make us feel a bit at sea, I bet pretty high up the list would be our health and wellness and the way we manage our lives online. There's always that run we should have gone on or that hour we shouldn't have spent on Instagram. And my next guest is someone whose actual job it is to understand and to manage those two huge minefields. And she does it with enviable poise. Amy Hopkinson is the digital editor of Women's Health, which means she's in charge of what the brand does in terms of its website and social media. And it is really working. Since she started three years ago, Women's Health has seen a huge jump in popularity as we all flock to follow Amy's mantra, eat, sweat, social, repeat. <laughs> Welcome, Amy. Thank you very much. Oh, you clearly live and breathe the brand of Women's Health. Have you always been like this? Have you always been a gym bunny? I have always had fitness in my life. So my nan is 75, 76 this year, and she's still a yoga teacher. Um, My mum's also a yoga teacher. But then during my 20s, I moved to London. I was juggling quite a few jobs. I was going out for a lot of work drinks after work. Um, I was just eating convenience food all the time. Um, And I was feeling a bit terrible and By chance, um, at the time, Nike had started doing free workout classes and I started going to the yoga. And that time on the mat made a big difference to how I was feeling. I realised how much better I felt in myself and it just became from a passion into a career. So I can see that you work out and that has great physical effects. (laughs) Um, But mentally, how do you keep energised mentally? For me now, it's knowing how much to do rather than doing too much and knowing what makes me feel good. So I'm not a spinner. For me, if I'm going to be on a bike, I need to be outside. And so, yeah, I think find the thing that you love and what makes you feel good. Mm, I think another thing that women can get quite stressed about is the idea of exercise just being another thing on the to-do list. How do you get over that? So if I said to you do you know what, today you need to go and walk for 90 minutes. You'd be like, how on earth am I going to fit that into my day? But the reality is, on a Saturday, you might go walk 90 minutes around the shops, and actually it's exactly the same thing. So rather than us always thinking about exercise has to be done like on a treadmill or in your trainers, it's more about considering how much you move within your day. So for me, I now don't get the tube in, I get the bus and I walk for 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be done with a fancy gym membership. I love the idea of treating 
shopping as your exercise and that's your 90 minutes walking <laughs> I would be an Olympic athlete if this were actually possible um, I've read that you've also talked about the challenges of doing triathlon and you had a bad experience in the water with that as a child I had two very scary experiences where I nearly drowned in fact I can still I vividly remember still sinking um, and just looking up and seeing green water and my oxygen bubbles going up and then I got pulled out um, and so it was terrifying. So it put me off swimming. And so I never learned. And so I learned to swim back in 2015, I think it was. It was the, my first year here at Women's Health. And then the following year, I got asked to do a triathlon. I'm not going to pretend it was in the Caribbean. And I did get to take a guess, so I took my nan. Um, and so we got into the sea and I realised that my front crawl probably wasn't up to the standard of what it needed to be for a triathlon because when I looked up and I was over on the right-hand side and everyone else was on the left and I'd swum in the wrong direction. <laughs> and so <laughs> there we go. I try and then start doing breaststroke. And <laughs> because I was quite strong in my legs I actually managed to come third in this triathlon overall that's incredible and, so, and with with my nan at the end being my like major cheerleader and like there was all steel drums After going gone completely so, in the wrong direction completely in the wrong the direction um, but it was on the bike so I came into my own on the um on the bike part um, I know that one thing you love about your work is this interactive nature um, of what you do. Now, the wellness industry does come in for a lot of criticism for promoting unrealistic body images and peddling pseudoscience, all the pressure from perfect bodies on Instagram. And social media is regularly accused of destroying everything from our self-confidence to our attention spans. As the digital editor of a publication focused on wellness and health, what do you say in your defence? Wellness comes from a really passioned point of view for most people. And I feel this is why topics can really explode. But actually, as as women and as readers and as consumers of social media, we need to make sure that we are consuming from places which really fact-check and know their sources and take responsibility for that. And that would be my best advice for other women on social media. And what do you think we can do about balancing the pressure to look amazing with the more positive aspects of exercise and fitness? I think you have to stop everything and then find out what makes you feel good. Um, I've definitely been lighter than what I am now, but was I any happier? Definitely not. And I think actually, when you stop letting numbers define how you feel, you really start to feel it. And actually that's what the most important thing is. Mm. For me, it's go and try a whole load of things, see what makes you feel good, see what affects your body and how you want it to look. Um, and then kind of plan from there and don't worry about what anyone else is doing. In that moment of comparing yourself, you downplay either what you've achieved or how you're feeling. And so I think the moment that you stop comparing yourself is the moment where you really connect with yourself. Your day and your lifestyle isn't similar to the next person. And so actually your achievements are completely different. And so rather than compare yourself, celebrate yourself. Thinking about trying new things, what are the fitness trends and wellness trends for 2018? Number one is hiking and walking. And I think it comes from this realisation that actually you really do need slow and steady forms of movement in your week. Um, 
The second one I've seen is climbing. The other one is, oh, classes which are just a load of fun. So there is one called Float Fit, and it is, imagine a paddleboard crossed with a lilo in a swimming pool. Um, and you can do like a half an hour hit class on this big wobbly board. So yeah, that and there's another one which is circus skills, which is happening as well. So play, climbing or hiking. Amazing. Thank you very much, Amy. I'll see you on the climbing wall. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Our thanks to Amy Hopkinson. Nadia, we were talking there about comparing yourself to other people and how destructive that can be. You say in the book, we knew, my brother and I, that it was only fear that led to danger. My mother cast around us her conviction that we would always be safe and it held us like a force field. Where do you stand now with the idea of fear and danger and and how you feel as a woman and as a daughter? That line in the book comes right after I describe my mom like driving the car off the road in a thunderstorm in Brazil to like take us into the ocean while the lightning is cracking. Um, so there's a little bit of irony <laughs> to to the way in which I'm presenting it. Um, but I do think that like I think that when I think it depends. I think that there are moments when like when fear creates its own problem in the sense that a lack of self-confidence, a sense of worry, a projected sense that maybe you're not good enough or maybe you're not going to get this job, those thoughts are self-perpetuating. They're a vicious circle. They're not going to get you where you want. And the attitude of who cares if there's a lightning storm, I'm going to go into the ocean. Who cares if I'm not qualified for this? I'm going to show up to the job interview as if I like was overqualified for it. Um, that those that sense of confidence of moving through the world and projecting at it that you expect it to give these things to you, I think that that is something that has a real concrete kind of magic that women can enact. What I really think about when I think about the magic that my mother and grandmother have and that I wish to have is the ability to bend reality to your desire and the ability to simply make something be true by deciding that it's going to be true. My mother said, you know, I never thought about choosing between having a career and having children. I decided I was going to have both, and I had both. And in those senses, I think that that letting fear creep into that, letting self their fear being equivalent with self-doubt, I don't think that that's useful. Mm. Yeah. Where do you stand personally about on the idea of motherhood now? Hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. My mom, I, I like have to convince my mom to stop talking to me about freezing my eggs. Um, I'm gay and I'm 30 and I'm single. Now that I'm 30, I actually like, for the first time, have put it back into question for myself and have wondered in the sense that like, oh, actually, society has always told me that's something I needed to do. But that's something I only need to do if I want to do it. There's many other ways of becoming a woman that don't involve becoming a mother. Um, But um, but I think I still think it's something I very much like to do. But right now, it's still an abstract thought. I don't have a partner, and I think I would do it with a partner. Mm, very good. Now we come to the part of the show where we ask for some expert advice. And on the subject of energy, who better than the endlessly energetic entrepreneur at the heart of a global beauty empire, Maria Hatzestefanis? She's CEO and founder of revolutionary skincare brands Rodiel and Nip and Fab, sold across 35 countries and associated with the shiniest of A-list stars from Kylie Jenner to Kate Moss. And her recent book, How to Be an Overnight Success, was an instant bestseller. Welcome, Maria. 
Thank you, Viv, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, now, can you give us, please, not that this is going to be difficult at all, a one sentence answer to your book title, How to Be an Overnight Success? How do you do that? In one sentence, please. It took me 18 years, so well, no, you cannot. I can't, I can't accept that answer, Maria. <laughs> 18 years, okay. Um, the title of the book is ironic. Um, what I wanted to convey through this book is my journey. I have a lot to say of how I got where I am here today. And I wanted to pass this on to as a message to all the young entrepreneurs out there that you can make it and you can be a success. It just doesn't not happen overnight. I love your voice. Tell us a bit about where you're from and your family background. Does, do you get a lot of creative energy from that? Um, I was born in a tiny island back in Greece. And I remember when I was 14 years old, I um, was getting ready to go out with a friend of mine. We didn't even have a beauty store in on the island. And I wanted to put a bit of blush and I took a can of Nivea cream. And I mixed it up with a lipstick that my mother had and I created the first ever cream blush. And it made me think, oh my God, I love cosmetics and that should be something that I need to look into for my future. How did your mother's and grandmother's attitudes towards beauty and makeup change generation by generation? Did your mother teach you how to put on makeup or is it something that you taught yourself? My mother and my grandmother are the most low maintenance people in the world. My grandmother's never put any makeup on in her life and my mom would put some lipstick on and that's it. That's Um, probably because they're really sexy Greek women, right? (laughs) (laughs) They don't need any. (laughs) Well, not all of them, but... um, we had like this one news agent on the island that would bring magazines once a month and I would go and buy the magazine since I was 10 years old and I was so deprived of anything glamour at the time that I really craved it and and that was driving me all my life. I know a lot of entrepreneurs they get their drive from fear of failure and they thrive on that is that something that's important for you or do you prefer to be heading towards success how do you think of it? Some of the biggest successes that I've had over the years uh, have come from rejection. Um, And as a person, the way that I see things is every time I get a no, I get so much more motivated to turn that no into a yes. And that drives me into being very creative. For example, um, very early on in my um, setting up Rodia, I wanted to get my products into a specific department store. They weren't responding to my messages, and I kept on going. And at the end, seven years later, I made that happen. But it was a process, and it was taking a step back, looking at um, where I could improve and going back with a fresh energy. I love that. It's basically... If you want to say no to me, you're going to have to say it for seven years. I'm not, going to, <laughs> I'm not going to go away. And what about people trying to start things almost as a side hustle? That's become a big phrase that everybody's using now. Is that something that you've experienced? And what would you advise about that? Um, in order to start a business and, and be serious about it, I believe you need a catalyst. And my personal catalyst was uh, being fired from a job that I was doing for three years that at the end I wasn't enjoying and really realizing what I wanted to do with my life. It wasn't the best thing at the time, uh, but I do find everyone out there who wants to start their own business, they need to find their own catalyst to make them say, well, this is 
a new chapter in my life. This is what I want to do and commit to it 100%. If you're feeling completely de-energized and everything's hopeless, not I'm speaking from personal experience or anything like that, um, what products would you turn to to give yourself a bit of a boost? For my skin, I would use uh, Dragon's Blood Sculpting Gel. Uh, which is a plumping and energizing serum. It adds a bit of volume. It it gives you a nice glow. And for just giving me that eight-hour slip effect, if if I'm tired, um, the product I would go to is called, um, it's from the Rodial range, and it's called the Banana Low Lighter. It's a yellow um, cream that you apply under your eyes, and it's a great um, tip. If there's one thing I would do, it would be the Banana Low Lighter. Cool. Dragon's Blood and Banana Low Lighter, I need to catch up here. Um, I'm wondering how you manage, Maria, this discrepancy in the beauty industry between making women feel good and the terrible pressure that women feel. How do you navigate all of that and and sleep at night? It's always a challenge. Um, From the first uh, day that I've started creating products, I always had the Rodial woman in mind who is in her 30s, 40s, 50s. She is not a 20-year-old. And the Rodial woman is is empowered. Um, She uses beauty as a way to feel confident, but she's not the type of person who would sit down and take hours to do her makeup. We do empower women and, and give them some products that will give them the quick fix, but we're not we're not about perfection in any sort of way i'm very glad to hear it now we are nearing the end of the podcast and i want to ask you maria the question i already asked Nadja at the beginning what in your life is the biggest waste of your energy okay so i'm going to give you a moment to think about that and Nadja, i think you should have your answer meanwhile i'm trying to think of mine the biggest waste of my energy is definitely self-doubt It sounds as if you wouldn't waste very much energy on that because it's just mental. But I think I almost pour my whole physical being into masses of self-doubt and insecurity, despite the fact I know that we shouldn't do this, as previously discussed. But yeah, so I'm always trying to stop that waste of energy. Nadja, how about you? I think for, for many women, and for myself included, one of the biggest wastes of energy is jealousy of other women. I think that that is... It's an easy trap to fall into. It's easy to want to compare yourself to the women around you and to worry that you are not as beautiful or not as successful or not as charming or funny and smart. But that is an incredibly destructive, not useful, anti-feminist thing to feel. And that it's useful to remind ourselves that actually the women around us who are achieving the things that we want to achieve for ourselves are making it easier for us to achieve those things as well, that there's a shared kind of sisterhood and that the women who we feel quote-unquote jealous of, that you can localize that emotion and realize simply what is it that they have that I am jealous of? How can I work to have that for myself as well? And I am grateful that there are women who are paving the paths that I need to be following. Just stand for office so I can vote for you. It's so beautiful how you speak. Thank you. Well said. Maria, how about you? What's your biggest waste of energy? My biggest waste of energy is when a member of my staff resigns, I get really upset and I overanalyze things. Um, I treat my team as a family. I get to know them. 
I would take it very personally and start analyzing why did they go? What should I have done differently? But then I realized that it's actually an opportunity to bring new energy, to reassess the role and the position and bring some fresh blood into the business. I hope as I grow into a businesswoman and and more mature in my role, uh, I get to spend less time over analyzing things. Wow, great answers. Quite serious. I want to say that my other biggest waste of energy is something not so serious, and that is trying to outbid probably other women on eBay (laughs) by one pence at a time. That's all we have time for on today's podcast. If you have the energy, please do tweet us at Mint Velvet or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page and tell us your thoughts. And do subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts. And if you can, please rate and review us. Huge thanks to Muddled Mummy Moss, who recently called us insightful, enjoyable and uplifting. So proud I'm thinking of getting t-shirts printed with that on. My thanks to our guests today, Naja Spiegelman, Naomi Mdudu, Amy Hopkinson and Maria Hatsis-Stefanis. We Are Women is a Whistledown production for Mint Velvet. The producer is Kate Taylor. I'm Viv Groskop. Thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>